There's something mesmerizing about precarious things. Things dangling, suspended, on the edge. Things that feel like they should give in to gravity at any moment, but instead defy it. Tightrope walkers, mountain goats, the leaning tower of Pisa. But what happens when something that has defied gravity for its whole life, something so beautifully, unbelievably stable in its instability, topples? I'm Abby Peralt, and this is Atlas Obscura, a daily celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're heading to Tandil, Argentina, where a huge rock teetered on the edge of a hill for thousands of years. We'll find out how La Piedra Movediza brought tourism, fame, and what's said to be a 100-year curse to the city. After this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. The city of Tandil is just outside of Buenos Aires in Argentina. It's the birthplace of an internationally famed tennis player, home to a great university, a scenic lake. But this city's identity is a wobbly rock. There are cafes and hotels and institutions across Tandil named after this rock. And it's believed to be central to the city's name itself, stemming from the words for falling rock in Mapuche. But this isn't just any wobbly rock. It's a big one. The, the stone weigh, uh, used to weigh 600 tons. That's Elias Elage, a writer and resident of Tandil. And the second voice you're hearing doing English translation is Mariela Varela. She's a friend of Elias who translates and teaches English in Tandil. Y estaba apoyada... And it was standing on a base of 30 centimeters. So at one point, Elias says this stone weighed over one million pounds and teetered on a teeny point on the rock beneath it, less than 12 inches across. And the way it's positioned, it looks like it's already falling. You kind of have to see it to believe it, so we've dropped a link in our show notes. 
Against the landscape, it looks kind of like a massive gray turtle shell hovering dangerously over the edge of the cliff. Elias wrote a book about this precarious rock, La Piedra Viva, or The Living Stone. And when I asked him what compelled him to write about the rock, he spoke about its geological intricacies, how it was formed as a part of a billion-year-old mountain range that was once underwater and emerged from the sea, and then somehow stayed in this strange, suspended position for what could be thousands of years. But it goes even beyond that. La magia de, de, de la piedra en sí mismo, la, la, la piedra, it's like the magic of this stone. Um, even though there may be other stones with similar uh, characteristics around the world, um, this stone in particular has a magic around it um, different from the others. La Piedra Movediza was different because it could move. The oscillation of this stone was like a miracle, standing on such a small base. And the, the, the magic of the stone and the, the fame that this stone gained worldwide was based on, on basically this. It, was also, it had an oscillation between 40 and 60 times an hour. This oscillation was so slow and so slight that just looking at it, you wouldn't even know the stone was moving. But people came up with ways to prove that it was. La más común para demostrar la, la oscilación era que le pusieran botellas. Uh, the most popular one was to put a bottle uh, under the... Um, the stone so that with this oscillation the, stone, the, the bottle would break and prove that it was moving. Tourists began pouring into Tandil to see the stone. Throughout the 19th century, it was heavily visited, tattooed with graffiti, touched and poked and pushed. There was even a circus artist from Italy who performed on top of the rock. There's this photo of him, completely upside down, holding himself up by one arm. But the wild thing is, he looks almost tame in comparison with the gravity-defying position of the stone. And then, on February 29th, 1912, during a leap year, sometime between 5 and 6 p.m., La Piedra Movediza disappeared. It had fallen. It was discovered in three pieces at the bottom of the hill. It wasn't long before just about everyone in Tandil had heard the news. Elias says at the time, there weren't too many tall buildings to obstruct the view of the stone, and suddenly that part of the skyline was strange and vacant. And the city entered this kind of collective state of shock. But soon, shock and grief gave way to anger, which gave way to speculation. Maybe some said it was dislodged by a particularly big explosion at the nearby quarry. Others suspected it was the quarry employees. Some ventured the stone was just 
always meant fall. But this stone had a secret. A secret that most people didn't know. At this point in the conversation, Elias held up a photo for me to see. La piedra movediza tenía, vamos a buscar una foto. Uh, that part that he's showing in the, um, in the picture, there is a part of the stone, the original stone, that is missing. And that was uh, due to a thunder, um, it was thunderstruck. So that part, the piece of stone was destroyed at that moment, in that storm. In 1848, he says, a lightning bolt struck the rock, leaving it with a scar. A scar that made it vulnerable. La piedra carecía de masa. Es decir, so it, uh, if you touch the if you touch to the stone, it would move. This perch that the rock had assumed for so long had been made even more precarious. While doing research for his book, Elias interviewed the great grandchild of one of the only eyewitnesses, the quarry owner's wife, whose home overlooked La Piedra Movediza. That night, she claimed to have been gazing out the window, changing her baby's diaper, when she saw it. En ese momento, el 29 de febrero, uh, on that day, February 29, 1912, uh, four or five people at, uh, in the afternoon, at more or less five o'clock, uh, went to the place where the stove was standing and started moving it, yes? Elias says it was a perfect storm, the stone having this secret Achilles heel, and what he refers to as the immense stupidity of humans. La inmensa estupidez humana. Even with an eyewitness, it was still a theory. And regardless of who or how, there was now a huge gap, an empty space where the stone once was. And a lot of people wanted to see it filled again, to return the city's mammoth rock to its rightful place. So, politician after politician campaigned on it, made promises to restore the stone by whatever means possible. Esto que ven acá. Elias showed us blueprints that had been laid out for train tracks, snaking up the hill to return the three broken pieces of the stone back to the top. That idea didn't work. Then, in 1971, another ridiculous pitch was put forth by two brothers from the U.S. Uh, so to glue it together. This continued for nearly a century. Wild proposals that didn't work. But there was something else happening. Something strange. Y se, se lo tomó como una leyenda política, una, como una maldición política. Los cuatro intendentes que pretendieron... It was like a curse, because every mayor that wanted to restore it, something bad happened to them. Two of them died, and the other two were um, taken out of office uh, with uh, some military uh, governments. Some people thought that the stone's fall was a part of something bigger, something darker. La piedra cae. The, the fall was three months before the sinking of the Titanic. La, 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 la so there was like a symmetry between the, the Titanic and the stone. 
and uh, they said, well, the Titanic was thought to be unsinkable. Everybody said that, and the the stone was believed to. Um, I mean, it was it would never uh, fall. All these legends and curves and everything lasted for 95 years until the year 2005. Para la para la, la, la coronación de una réplica de la piedra movediza. In 2005, the mayor at the time held a contest for people to submit ideas for restoring the stone. The winners of this contest said, forget about moving the original stone back up, trying to glue it together or whatever. Let's just build a replica. And two years later, they installed it at the top of the hill. In May of 2007, early in the morning, the replica was unveiled. Throngs of people showed up, including the president at the time, everyone clapping and waving flags, all eyes on this one lump on the hill, covered by a tarp. Elias was actually covering the ceremony for a radio station, so he arrived in the chilly early morning hours. And just as the sun was beginning to rise, he says, the tarp was lifted. And there was the replica of the stone, balanced against the pale blue morning light. It was um, a moment of uh, it was so emotional because uh, it was like a moment of closure after all these years of legends and curses and everything. It was like a moment of closure. So from that on, it was everything was emotions. There's a lively debate over the actual aesthetic of the replica. Once you get a little closer, Elias says it's clearly not the original stone. It's made from a metal frame and these synthetic fibers. And it's bolted down, so it doesn't move at all. But still, its presence back up on the hill where it had been for so many years before, that felt big. Empezaba a amanecer. Estaban en las primeras luces del amanecer. So uh, the sun coming up and people placing just at that moment, placing the stone uh, where it used to be, it was like, um, I, I get goosebumps now <laughs> talking about it. And if you see, look at it from far away, from far away, it looks just the same. So it was like having it with us again. The original stone is still there, broken, below the replica. And the replica can never bring the original shifting stone back to life. But maybe it's less of a replacement, and more of a gravestone. A memorial. A way to reanimate the rock that once wobbled. It also preserves and gives shape to all the stuff that the stone's fall brought new life to. And that's why Elias says he titled his book The Living Stone. The myths, the theories, the curses, the legends that were born from its fall, men have kept swirling, moving, invisibly but importantly, kind of like the stone itself.
Thank you so much to Elias and Mariela for taking the time to talk to us. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Sarah Wyman, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney, Manolo Morales, Chilenya Onike, Camille Mojica, Maddie Weinberg. Our technical director is Casey Holford. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. I'm Abby Peralt. Thanks for joining me. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen.